Well, this morning we're going to continue with our Connected series about relationships, and we're going to be talking today about relationships within the church, within the body of Christ. And as I was thinking about this topic over the week, I was reminded of something that happened to my wife and me when we were a young couple in our early 20s. We moved to Dallas, and we visited a church one Sunday morning. Uh, enjoyed the preaching, enjoyed the music. It was a great service. So after the service, we started asking some people how we could connect. How do we get into a Bible study or a home group or whatever? And uh, as we were talking, we were talking to somebody next to us uh, in a chair next to us. We began to talk about that and we asked the question, how do we get into a small group or whatever? And as we were asking the question, there was a woman in the row in front of us that turned around and she looked us right in the eyes and she said, my group's full. And then she just turned around and and walked away. And I remember thinking, why did you do that? Why did you actually take a moment to exert energy to make a statement to us that you don't want us in your group? I didn't even know her group existed until she said that and excluded me from it. And I remember thinking, that's, that's painful. Now, by some miracle, we actually stayed at that church and we found that she was an outlier. She was an exception to the rule. She, she didn't represent the way that most people felt. But throughout the years, and as we have been at Creekside even for the last five years, one thing that's always on my mind as a pastor and as a Christian is I want us to have an environment where everybody... Whether you just walked in the room, everybody, no matter what your background is, no matter where you came from, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, that you have the opportunity to connect with people here in the church. Because I believe that in the church, we have the opportunity to find relationships that can bring us hope, that can bring us healing, that can draw us closer to Jesus. Our staff here at Creekside, they've heard me say this multiple times. I always say, I want us to put on a yes face. And what I mean by that is this, that on Sunday morning or throughout the week, as people approach us and they say, can I find a place to connect? The answer is yes, and our faces reflect yes. Can I find a place to serve? The answer is yes, and our faces reflect yes. And if one group is full, we will find you another group. If one service opportunity is not open, we will find you or help you find another service opportunity. So we want to be a place, a church with yes faces, where we say, whoever you are, we want you to connect. If you were with us last week, you know we began this series on relationships. If you weren't here, I want to give just a thumbnail review of what we talked about. We talked about three basic principles about relationships from last week. The first one is this. We are made for relationships. God designed you and me not only to know Him, not only to have this vertical relationship, but also to know one another. He designed us to connect with other People. That's why we see at the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, it's not good for the man to be alone. That's not just about marriage. That is about the way we've been made to be people who are relational. But remember we said our relationships are hard because of sin. 
that I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and in fact, the closer you are to somebody, the more that their sin can cause you pain, and the more that your sin can cause them pain. So the relationships we look to to bring us the most joy are often the ones that bring us also the deepest pain. So sin makes relationships hard, but then Jesus can heal our relationships. Jesus came, in fact, to reconcile relationships, to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us with one another. And as I said a couple of minutes ago, I think in the church, in the body of Christ, we have an opportunity to experience reconciled relationships, relationships that bring us healing and hope, and we have also an opportunity to demonstrate to the world the love of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. In fact, I think the church can accomplish that in a way that no other earthly organization can. Because there are some truths about the church that apply to no other organization on the planet. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Why should we want to connect with the church? What is significant and unique about the church that makes it a place that we want to be, not just to attend, but actually to connect, to engage? And what does that look like? I'm actually going to share just a few ways that we can connect with the body of Christ. But I want to begin with this question of why is the church the type of place that we want to connect with? What makes it unique? What makes it different? And here's where we're going to start. It's this. The church is united by God's Spirit. The church is united by God's Spirit. So think about every group you've ever been in in your life. Every group, whether that was you went to Texas A&M, or you're an American, or you belong to some club, or even your family. Every group is united around something. Some commonality. If it's a family, you're united probably around genetic relationship or at least some sort of adoptive relationship. If you are an American, you're united around this nation and maybe the ideals of this nation. If you're an Aggie, you're united around all kinds of things that are the best things in the world, right? So every organization that you've ever been in is united around something. Quite often, it is externalities, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. So it may be the way that you look. It may be your background, whether that's ethnically or racially. It may be you're a man, you're a woman, whatever. Every group you've ever been in is united around something. But when we get to the church, what is interesting is that the New Testament tells us the church is united by something that we believe and somebody who lives in us and with us, okay? So something that we believe, if you think about earlier, we recited the Apostles' Creed. Christians have been reciting the Apostles' Creed for almost as long as there have been Christians. It probably goes back to the second or third century. People have been reciting this for a long time. And essentially, it identifies, we're united around these things that we say are true. That there is one God in three persons. That Jesus died for our sin. That Jesus rose again. That Jesus is coming back. And in fact, even in the context of the Apostles' Creed, we, we said this earlier, I believe in one holy Catholic church. I know that, that if, you're, if you've never really recited that before, you grew up in an in a environment uh, that was uh, more evangelical or did not cite it a lot, you might have thought that and been like, wait. Have we changed denominations? What's going on? I believe in one holy Catholic church. What does that mean? It essentially means that we are a universal. Catholic is an old word that means the universal church. And that is that all Christians everywhere 
are united around things that we believe, and then we're also united around the fact that if you believe in Jesus for forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, the Spirit of God lives in me and lives in you and lives in every one of us and draws us together. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He says there's one body. Even though there are multiple local manifestations of the church, local gatherings, everybody who believes in Jesus is a part of the body of Christ, united by the Spirit of God. So we're not united by externalities. We're not united by anything earthly but by the Spirit of God. That makes the church different. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul uses some different analogies. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So here Paul uses a few, um, a few metaphors in one verse, right? He says, if you know Jesus, you're citizens of a new country, right? So if you're a citizen uh, in his day of Rome, there were Romans and then there was everybody else, right? Often we think about this, there are Americans and there are everybody else. Paul says you are now in Jesus Christ actually citizens of a new kingdom. And that means that in that kingdom are people who are citizens of all the nations on the earth. He also says you're like a household, like a family, right? So I live with my family. You likely live with your family or you have lived with your family. My family lives in one house. You live in another house. You don't typically just unannounced move into my family's house unless you're a part of my family or I invite you to move in, right? But Paul says in Jesus, it's like we are all one family. There's something new that unites us, that goes even beyond blood ties. And in fact, in the early church, they took care of each other like family. Because often when a person trusted in Jesus, and this still happens today, their biological family would kick them out. And so the church would say, you're a part of our family. You're a part of our household, united not by externalities, of ethnicity or race or class or family, but in Jesus Christ. And then he says, we're like a building, that God is taking all these parts and putting them together. This is why Paul will say something remarkable in Galatians chapter 3. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, you read that, and on the surface, obviously, literally, there are Jews and Gentiles. There are slaves and free people. There are men and women. So he's not saying these categories are non-existent. Here's what he's getting at, that in the church, in the body of Christ, we don't any longer join on the basis of these categories, nor do we approach God as if one category is better than another category, okay? The church was actually maybe one of the first religious organizations among any organization that said men and women, for example, Jew and Gentile, can actually sit together like we're sitting together in church this morning and 
worship God on equal terms. That is, in order to approach and worship God in the church, my, uh, my gender, my race, my social class, those things do not impact my equality before God. They don't impact my salvation. They don't impact my opportunity to worship and to sing and participate in the body of Christ because the church is united around Jesus. Right, so if you, again, think about every organization you've been in, it's probably united often around some externality. So when you were in high school, I mean, man, high school is a great illustration of how we are united around externality. So your, your friend group might have been the athletic kids, it might have been the popular kids, it might have been the smart kids, it might have been like me, it was the band kids, whatever it is, you had something that united your group. I remember many years ago when I was in high school watching a movie uh, by John Hughes. It was called The Breakfast Club. I'm not recommending you go see it based on me bringing it up. But, but what I remember from the movie was this, that, that it was sort of a, a hypothetical uh, film about what if in detention you had people from all these different groups. So you have a jock and you have a popular kid and you've got a nerd and you've got this juvenile delinquent, right? And so we're going to put all of these different kinds of kids who would normally be in these other groups together in one room and they will be forced to interact with each other. And of course, if you've seen the movie, by the end they respect each other, they're friends, they love each other. It's very heartwarming. It's generally unrealistic. Because in real life, that almost never happens in, in the world, right? If I'm in detention with somebody that I don't want to talk to in the hallway, I'm not going to talk to him in detention. They don't fit my group. And what Paul says about the church is we are united. Jew and Gentile, I cannot overstress how remarkable that would have been because literally the Jews thought they were better, by and large, than Gentiles, that they were superior. Men generally believed they were superior, better than women. Certainly, free men and masters believed they were better than slaves. And Paul says, all of us together come together to worship Jesus. We can worship God on equal terms. So the church is united around the Spirit of God. And that's why I think there is power in the body of Christ. Because we have the opportunity to reflect the unity of God's people in a way that I think no other organization on the planet can. It also means that no matter who you are, there's a place for you. No matter who you are, there's a place for you. So we are united by God's Spirit. That said... Second thing I would point out about the church is although we're united by the Spirit of God, we each have a unique role. We each have our own place to play, our own place to serve, our own place to grow, our own place to connect. My place is not your place. Your place is not my place. Right? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul puts it this way. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, 
And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. In other words, again, we are all united by the spirit of God, but we all have a different part to play. We all have a different role. As I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded that uh, I, you may not know this, I have a past career, very brief, in ballet. Uh, And what I mean is this, that Uh, My daughter is a dancer, and she has participated multiple times in the local production of the Nutcracker around Christmas time. So, a couple of years ago, she was in one of the opening scenes, the party scene, and so she was going to be one of the party teens, and turns out that there are also party parents who dance with the party kids and the party teens. So, she came to me and she said, Daddy, would you participate in this production as one of the party dads? And I said, well, sweetie, I, I have no dance training or experience or talent. And so uh, I don't know if that's going to work. She said, would you please consider it? So I said, okay. So I sent an email to the director, and I, I kind of intentionally, I'll admit, downplayed my qualifications. I said, look, um, I'm wondering, is there a spot? If not, it's totally okay. Just so you know, I have no training, I have no talent, I have no experience. So the one thing I have going for me is I actually am her dad. And so there would be an element of realism to the production that might not otherwise be there. And to my surprise, they emailed back a few days later and they said, you're in, you're, you're in. And so, so here we are, like on the, on the day of one of the performances, and, and so I participated, I danced on stage with her, I enjoyed my part. Now, I do understand, and this is true, that since I participated in it, now there's, there's an audition for the role that I was in. Uh, I like to think under the table, this is the Matt Morton rule, we want to actually make sure we know who we're letting in the door. But I enjoyed the role. Now, what was interesting about it was this. I had a role that was important to the production. So if you watch that, that scene, the parents, the dads, and the moms are important. If there were no dads in the production in that scene, it would look a little bit odd. It wouldn't look right. But my role was not somebody else's role. I could not play the sugar plum fairy. And there are multiple reasons for that. One is it's written for a woman. The other is it's written for somebody who has trained to dance, who has studied dance. So I have my role. It's, it's important. It's not, in fact, even an inferior role to anybody else's role, but it's a different role. And so when we talk about the body of Christ, this is what the, the New Testament tells us, is that we are united in the Spirit, but we have different roles. And I, and I bring this up partly because for just a minute... I want to talk about some concepts that are going to feel like a little bit of a tangent, but they aren't a tangent. I want to talk for just a minute about this concept that in the body of Christ, we are equal, but we are complementary. And by complementary, what I mean is not, I tell you nice things, I say you look nice, but instead, you complement me in the sense that your weaknesses help fill in the gaps Uh, excuse me, your strengths fill in the gaps where I have weaknesses and vice versa. Your gifts are not my gifts. So we come together and we reflect Jesus. We complement each other. We reflect Jesus not only as individuals, but also as a body. So we all have a role to play. Now, I say that to say this. If you've been at Grace, and Grace Bible Church has been around, by the way, since 1965. Creekside has only been here since 2015. 
If you've been at Grace Bible Church for any period of time, no doubt you have noticed that there are certain uh, positions of leadership and historically even some positions of service that have been reserved for male leadership. So when we talk about uh, the, the concept that everybody has a place, everybody has a role, and everybody's meant to connect, I want to talk for just a minute about where our church stands on those concepts. And here's, here's a couple of reasons why. One, because these are huge concepts that are discussed in our broader culture a lot these days. But beyond that, our elder board has just spent three years studying exactly this question. What does the Bible say about the roles of men and women in the church? What does the scripture say? And can we be a church that is, as well as we know how, we are faithful to what the scripture says, that where the scripture draws boundaries, we adhere to those boundaries. And where the scripture doesn't draw boundaries, we don't draw our own man-made boundaries. All right, so here's where they have landed, and and I want to mention, we're going to have a position paper up on the website in the the coming days. In fact, I think it's going to go up this afternoon, and we also are going to have uh, prominently displayed a couple of sermons that will get into some of the specific Bible passages in more detail than I have time to get into them today. But here's, here's where they landed. First of all, male and female are on equal footing before God. Again, Galatians 3.28. So even though there is an authority structure, there's an authority structure in the church, in any organization that you're in, there's an authority structure. Authority and submission does not mean inequality or inferiority. So think about it this way. If you work for a company, you probably have a boss unless you own the company. Your boss tells you what to do. In a certain sphere, your boss has authority. But that doesn't make your boss ontologically superior to you, right? doesn't make them a better human being or a more powerful or superior human being. It is that in this sphere, there is an authority structure in order for the organization to function. When we talk about authority structures, and and this morning we're talking about the church, in the days to come, we will also talk about what does the Bible say about the home and authority structures in the home, both in marriage and in parenting. We say male and female are on equal footing before God, but as our elders studied the relevant passages in the scriptures, here's where they landed, is that there are certain roles in the church, and by the church, in the first century, you have to realize the church basically consisted of what we would call the corporate worship gathering on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. They didn't necessarily have Sunday school classes or youth groups or any of those things, but they would gather together, and in that context, they would say elder roles and teaching pastor roles are reserved for mature male leadership. Now again, remember, in the first century, There was no such thing as as a paid teaching pastor or a paid pastor, at least initially. As churches began to organize more tightly, there began to be staff and pastors and clergy and those types of things. So, So the reason I point that out is to say that the pastor in the early church would have been one of the elders or more than one of the elders who in that gathering would have taught from the Scripture. 
So as we look throughout the scripture, what we see is that there are certain passages that Paul will tell Timothy and Titus, for example, that at each local church, you are to have a group of elders who provide direction and leadership to the church. So he says to Titus, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and then he goes on to list moral characteristics that the elders are supposed to have. They're not supposed to be drunks. They're not supposed to be angry or violent. There's, there's moral qualifications. And he says, I want you in your churches to appoint these men who will provide leadership and direction for the church. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul specifies that he wants those men, or those to be men. He says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Now, I don't have a lot of time to exegete this in detail this morning. So again, we will have a... a sermon on the website if you're interested, but let me just, in a nutshell, try to summarize what's going on. Okay, Paul is not saying that there's never a context where a woman can teach a, a male or exercise authority, right? And in fact, in the early church, there were contexts in the, in the gathered church where women would pray, where women would prophesy. There were even instances where a woman might provide training and teaching outside of that corporate worship gathering to men. Okay, so Paul is not saying uh, men are superior to women. He's not saying, he's not talking about government. He's not talking about business. He's talking about in the corporate gathering of the church, he wants this elder leadership to be male. And so the question that always comes up is then, then why? Why is that? If authority does not mean superiority, then why is this structure in place? Okay, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly, but we get some clues. One of them is in this passage. It has to do with the order in which God created human beings. That he says he created male first and then female. Does that make males better? No, it means males were created first. In the ancient world especially, being born or created first was a sign of both responsibility and authority. Why males and why not females? And the only thing we're really told is that's the way that God designed it. That's the way that God made it in certain spheres. And here's another reason why that you can pull out of the scripture. Hey, it is this, that the church, the gathered body of believers is meant to reflect the voluntary order of Jesus in submission to his father when Jesus was here among us. Okay. Think about the Trinity for the moment. We talked about the Trinity a few minutes ago. Three persons, one God. All are co-equal. None is superior to another. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. We affirm that. If you don't affirm that, that makes you a heretic, right? Jesus is fully God. The Father is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. And yet, Jesus is always saying things like, I do my Father's will. I do what he tells me. Does that make Jesus weaker, inferior, or lesser than the Father? Absolutely not. And so what God has programmed into the church is that in certain contexts to demonstrate this order that that he demonstrates in himself, he has called for this authority structure. And so as our elders wrestled with it, they said in this role, in the elder role and the primary teaching role, we, we are going to continue to affirm male leadership. However, as they studied, they also said this, 
We do not want to restrict service or leadership opportunities where the Scripture permits it. Okay, so if you've been around for a while, and I know some of you may have come over from Anderson or Southwood when we first launched, and you may have been at Grace for all 55 years, or you may have been here for a year or less, or you may have been here somewhere in between, but if you've been around for a while, you know that historically and traditionally, there have been certain service roles that have only been performed by men. So for example, handing out the offertory plates has traditionally been something that only men have been asked to do, or handing out the communion plates, or participating in or even performing a baptism, especially in certain cases. Okay, but as our elders looked at the scripture carefully, they said, we do not see a biblical restriction, for example, on women handing out communion plates. Certainly in the first century, they did not have the kinds of communion plates that we have, and they didn't hand them down the aisle. They were gathered in a home. They probably had a bag or something that they handed around. All right, so there's no restriction in the scripture. So our elders have said, we want to begin to open up some of those opportunities for women to serve as well as men. So I say that because over the next several weeks and months, you will likely begin to see some changes in those areas. That is not a concession to our culture, but instead a reflection of what our elders believe the scripture says. So the idea is we want to draw boundaries where there are boundaries, but not where there are no boundaries in the scripture. Okay, and I say all of that again, not as a tangent, but to make this point. Whoever you are, male, female, whatever your background, racially, ethnically, whatever your uh, wealth status, whatever your nationality, whatever it is, there is a place for you. Right? And so you come in and you say, I have gifts that I want to contribute to the body of Christ. I have teaching gifts. I have leadership gifts. I have service gifts. I have evangelism gifts. Whatever your gift is that you say, I want to be a part of the body of Christ, I want to say again, we want to put on our yes face and say, we will work to find a spot for you. Even though we might adhere to certain boundaries, we want to be as open as the scripture allows us to be so that everybody can find their place. And that leads me to the final point I want to make this morning. We want you to find your place for this reason, because we need you. And you need us. We need you. And you need us. 1 Corinthians 12, again, Paul talking about the body of Christ. He says, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26. Again, he's saying nobody in the body of Christ is expendable. So if you come in the room and you say, look, it's not going to matter if I participate. Nobody's even going to notice in a group this size. Nobody's even going to know if I participate, right? And that might be true on some level. If I don't know you, if none of our pastors know you, if none of our staff knows you, nobody may know. 
But that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean there won't be damage to your spiritual life and to the body of Christ because we need you even if we don't yet know you. Because every part of the body affects every other part of the body. When I was a kid, I remember my feet grew a whole lot faster than the rest of my body. So I always had feet that stuck out a little bit farther than was safe as I was walking around or running around. So it was not at all uncommon for me to stub my little toe. I would catch that little toe on the corner of furniture or whatever it was, and especially as a kid when you run through the house quite frequently. So on more than one occasion, I broke my littlest toe on my foot. In fact, one of them is still slightly pointing the wrong direction to this day. And I remember the feeling uh, when I would go to school and I would wear uh, the orthopedic shoe that they prescribed for me, which was super great for my popularity in sixth grade. And I would sit in those desks, and if I shifted just the wrong way, one way or the other, I would feel this pain that would shoot from that tiny toe all the way up to the crown of my head. And it was terrible. Because that little part of my body that that I never really think about anymore. In fact, I'm going to guess that before this moment, you had probably not thought about your little toe for maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years, unless it was injured. Right? But it has a huge impact. And in fact, if you don't have that little toe on one or both feet, I don't know if that's your situation this morning. If it is, I hope I don't upset you. But if you don't have that toe... That's going to affect your balance. That's going to affect how you walk. It's going to affect everything about your body. That's what Paul says about the body of Christ. Even the members of the body that seem the least important, they're not. They're deeply significant and needed. We need you and you need us. That part of the way that that Jesus displays himself in the world, is through men and women who know Jesus, gathering together, loving one another, worshiping together, serving together, and then going out into the world to proclaim him together. So whether you've been here for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, or maybe this is your first week, we need you and you need us to grow in Jesus Christ and for us to be able to reflect him. So in a moment, I want to I want to provide a few concrete ways for you to connect. Before I go there, there is one last thing I I meant to say it a moment ago on this this issue of roles and what we talked about with with men and women and the roles in the church. It may be that you listen to that and you just, you totally disagree, right? It may be that for some of you, you say, not only is it about time to make these changes, but I think we need to have female pastors and female elders. That may be you. Or it may be you say, I totally disagree with all of the changes in the other direction and I think we need to clamp down further. That may be you. And here's, here's the thing I want to say. It's okay to disagree. Okay, we're not going to send out a questionnaire or launch an inquisition or anything along those lines. It's okay. This issue, while we affirm certain things from the Scripture, it is what we would call a secondary matter. It's not of the level of the Apostles' Creed that we recited earlier. But it is where our church lands. So you say, I disagree and I need to talk to somebody. That's great. You can come and talk with me. You can talk with our elders. Because again, our our prayer is that every single person will know that that we come in, we have our yes face. 
We want you to connect, and in fact, you need to connect with us. We need to connect with you as part of the body of Christ. So let me provide then as we close just a few concrete ways to do that. How can you connect? Let me offer just a few opportunities. The first one is this. Become a member. I would encourage you, if you're not yet a member of Grace Bible Church, to consider going through that process. Now, we don't announce this every week, and historically we have not put a great push toward membership, but I think there are some advantages to being a member of the church that you regularly attend. One of those is that it is a way of saying, I am voluntarily placing myself under the authority of the elder board and the leadership at this church, that I want you to hold me accountable. I want them to know who I am. I want to play a part. Being a member also allows you to vote on our elder, uh, at, for our elders. It allows you to vote on things like the purchase of real property. So there are some tangible benefits, but I think more than that, it is a way to say, I know this church and I want to affirm I want to be a part of this church. We have a membership class next Sunday, January 26th. If you're interested, you can go to grace-bible.org slash events and you'll find the event there. You can sign up. If you need child care for that, go sign up for that today because my understanding is today is the deadline for child care. The class will be held. It's typically in the morning at one of our campuses. So you would just take a day off from being in this room to go to that membership class and begin that process. Secondly, initiate relationships. Here's what I mean. Every so often, I'll talk to somebody, either somebody who has departed from our church or somebody who departed from another church, and they may say something like this, I I tried to connect, I tried to find community, but I couldn't really find it, and so I left, I went somewhere else. And sometimes that may be because they ran across one too many people, like that woman I described at the beginning of the sermon who said, our group is full, we don't want you, right? They may have just found a pocket of people who are particularly exclusionary. But sometimes, as I begin to ask questions, I find that there are other reasons for their failure or inability to connect. So I say, well, what did you do? Did you, did you try to find a, a group to connect with, a Bible study, a home group? And they go, ah, I, don't have, I don't have time, I'm too busy during the week, I can't join one of those. Did you look for a place to serve? Did you join a service team? I can't do that. I don't, I don't really have the opportunities to do that. That's too much. Well, have you, have you tried to introduce yourself to people and connect with people? Well, yeah, kind of, but that's really their job. They need to come find me, right? And so what happens is we convince ourselves community is not available. And what I would encourage you, again, whether it's your first week or your thousandth week, Put on your yes face and say, what I want to do is help others connect, and I want to connect with others. I will begin to initiate some of these relationships. And if you've been here for a while, I would encourage you, begin to look for those folks who are just walking in the door. Uh, I remember when I was a freshman at A&M, one day I was walking around campus, and like a lot of freshmen, I was trying to figure out where I was supposed to go for my next class, what building I'm supposed to be in, so I'm looking at the map, and I'm kind of looking around, and, and I remember this senior comes up to me, and he says, hey, can I help you find anything? And I said, yeah, I'm trying to find this building, and he goes, okay, it's over there, and he gives me directions. He goes, hey, you're a freshman, right? And I remember when he said it, I thought, how, how can he tell? How does he know? Well, of course, by the time I was a senior, you understand how you can tell. There is a look in the eye, 
of primal terror and anxiety and confusion. Everything about the person says, I, I just showed up. For, for some people, you, you've walked in the room this morning and you feel that. And my exhortation is for those who have been here for a while, look for those folks. Don't embarrass, but help draw them in because there was a day for all of us when that was us. And just as God and Jesus Christ reached to those of us who were far away and brought us in, that's, that's who we want to be. Initiate relationships. Thirdly, find a place to serve. I put Dusty's email up here, our campus pastor, Dusty Davis. He can help you find a place. You can go onto our website and find the service opportunities. I promise you at Grace Creekside, I mean, I promise you, there is a place for you to serve. Nobody will be told, hey, we're out of opportunities to serve. There is somewhere for you to serve. And I know that most of you in this room probably already are, but if you are not yet, find a place to serve. And then lastly, find a place to grow and to connect. Again, go to our website. There's a big circular button that says join a group. Click on that button. There are groups on different days of the week. There are different uh, types of groups. There are groups that meet in homes. There are groups that meet at one of our buildings. You can find a group. And so I would encourage you, find a place where you have men and women around you who will help you know God's word and walk with Jesus and pursue him well so that we can be a place where we connect with one another and then we go out into the world and we help connect people to Jesus Christ. Because again, we believe that in the body of Christ, this is a place that we can find relationships of hope and healing and life. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word. We pray that we would trust it. We pray that we would understand it. We're grateful for your son who died and rose again to bring us to you. And Father, we're grateful for your people. We pray that each of us would find a place of connection and service where we can use our gifts, where we can be a part of all that you're doing to draw men and women to know you from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Lord, we thank you for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.